1: This Washington Post Live podcast is presented by AT&T Business. Keeping your business connected today and building it for tomorrow with 5G on America's
0: best network. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. As president of the AFL-CIO, Richard Trumka represents America's Federation of Labor Unions. The AFL-CIO endorsed former Vice President Joe Biden in May. With millions of Americans fighting to keep their jobs and stay afloat, he joined The Washington Post to discuss the current COVID-19 crisis and how they will organize for a Biden victory in November. Let's listen. Good afternoon. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live's coverage of the Democratic National Convention. My first guest this hour is Richard Trumka. He is the president of the AFL-CIO, the largest federation of unions in the United States. Mr. Trumpka, welcome.
1: Jonathan, thanks for having me on.
0: So you've already endorsed former Vice President Joe Biden for president. In 2016, President Trump was able to pull many working class voters over to his side. How does Biden get them back?
1: Well, first of all, he got about, uh, Trump got about 3% more of our members Uh, than Romney did, uh, the the section before that. Look, Joe comes, gets him back because we know Joe and Joe knows us. Uh, He's known working people all his life. He's a blue collar guy that never forgot where he came from. He knows the importance of a job is more than just wages. It's about dignity and it's about respect. And Joe actually understands that. Uh, I think people are drawn to him because he's a a blue collar type of guy that understands blue collar, blue collar type of guys, and he'll do what's right by us.
0: Did you see the Did you see the the video during the convention last night? The, what people are calling the Amtrak video. I did. It does that, that get per- to what you were talking about?
1: It, it perfectly exemplifies him. No, nobody is more important. You could be the king of a country, uh, or the president of a country. Or you could be an Amtrak ticket taker, and Joe Biden is going to give you the same amount of respect and attention, and he's going to listen to you. In fact, he wants to hear from working people. He asks them, what's it like? What's happening in your life? What can we do to make it better? He's a guy that really wants to learn, and as I said, Joe's never forgot where he came from. He's always been a blue-collar guy, and he's still a blue-collar guy. So, Mr. Trump, what do you think Democrats have learned from four
0: years ago running against Donald Trump in order to win this time?
1: Well, one, I think you have to pay attention to working people, Uh, that jobs and the economy are extremely important, that kitchen table economics, the things that people talk about when they sit around their kitchen table, not rich people, they're taken care of, they'll be okay, but working class people, people who work for a living, essential workers what they talk about. And they're talking about those type of things. They're doing things that are gonna make it better. Because right now, Jonathan, there are, we talk about inequality, but there's actually three facets to inequality. There's inequality of wealth and wages. There's inequality of opportunity that we're fighting hard to address right now. And then there's inequality of power. And you can't address the first two until you address inequality of power. Because for the last four or five decades, maybe even longer, the rules of the economy, the tax laws, the trade laws, uh, everything else, and even a, a whole industry's been built up on making workers have less power. Joe understands that you have to address the inequality of power and workers have to have a stronger voice. When that happens, you'll see the middle class being rebuilt, you'll see an economy that starts to grow from the bottom and the center out, rather from the top down. Uh, That's very, very important to workers and it's very, very important to Joe Biden.
0: I wanna talk about the economy in a moment, but I'm I'm curious because during the 2016 presidential campaign, there were many interviews that were done with workers and working class Americans who looked at Donald Trump and said, He's one of us, even though he is a, a rich guy who lives in an apartment in a glass tower smack in the middle of, of Midtown Manhattan, they saw him as, as a blue-collar guy. Do you think those same, those same folks still view him the same way?
1: I don't think they ever saw him as a blue-collar guy, Jonathan. I think they saw him as a guy who said he was going to change the rules to work for them because most of our members, most working people believe that neither the economy nor the political system was working for them. And so Donald Trump convinced in and says, I'm gonna change the rules to make it fairer for you. And they believed it. A lot of them said, let's give him a try. Well, he's had his try and he's changed the rules all right, but they sure haven't been to benefit working people. Rich people are doing a whole lot better. We're doing a whole lot worse our health and safety is threatened, our pensions are threatened, our wages are threatened, collective bargaining is threatened. He's appointed anti-worker union-busting lawyers to the NLRB. We have an OSHA that's the weakest it's ever been in the history of, of of the country. It has fewer inspectors now than it ever has. Our health and safety is being jeopardized. And so the rhetoric that he talked about doesn't match his actions. And workers aren't stupid, Jonathan. They're going to match the two up and say, you said this, but you did this. And what you did wasn't good for workers. When you took away health and safety standards, that hurt us. When you took away overtime from 3 million people, that hurt us. When you took away a pension rule that would have protected our pensions, that could cost us a quarter of our pensions, that hurt us. So we won't believe what you're saying as readily this time.
0: So, And and yet, I'm thinking about the NBC Wall Street Journal poll that was released this week that showed more Americans say President Trump is better when it comes to economic issues than Vice President Biden. Um, Are the people who are being polled different from the people you're talking about? And how can Vice President Biden convince voters otherwise, that he's the one who's better on the economy?
1: All you have to do is look at the statistics. The statistics show that more jobs were created under Democrats than Republicans, higher GDP under Democrats than Republicans, better wage growth for wa- for Americans uh, under Democrats than Republicans, and all Joe has to do is continue to talk about his plans. He talks about his plans to create jobs. He talked about his plans to create the economy and recover from this pandemic. All he has to do is show him his plan, which is geared towards working people and working people getting a fair shake. Donald Trump doesn't have anything to compare with that. What's he gonna do? Say I lost 12.9 million jobs this year?
0: I, I'll take that as a rhetorical question. Well, let me let me, let me um, continue down this road. Prior to the per- coronavirus pandemic, the economy had its lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. The economy was going strong before the pandemic, which you know those kinds of stats could derail any president's uh, economic plans. Looking at President Trump's four-year bo- four-year body of work. Why do you think now is the right time to make a change in the
1: White House? Because of everything he's done against working people. Let's start with the pandemic, his incompetent handling of the pandemic that's cost hundreds of thousands of people, or thousands of people at least, to lose their lives. When he came in, he had had a pandemic task force that was in place that could have stepped in and handled this. What did he do? He dismantled it. He had an infectious workplace disease standard that was in place. What did he do? He dismantled it. He had a OSHA that was capable of protecting the health and safety of America's workers. What did he do? He dismantled it. So when the pandemic hit, instead of even facing up to it, owning up to it, he said, this is a farce, this is a hoax. All he was concerned about was getting this economy back up and running without regard to anybody else or who it hurt. He called us heroes for being essential workers, and yet he did nothing to protect us. He won't give us a health and safety standard. He won't allow, we won't protect us. We had to provide PPE for our members. He wouldn't even help us get PPE. We had to do that for our members to protect them. And thousands of them, thousands of them got sick and hundreds have died. And then what did he do in the meatpacking industry? He said, go back to work, I'm ordering you back to work. But there was no health and safety plan. And as a result of that, tens of thousands of meatpacking workers contracted COVID-19, got sick and many died. All of those things, the incompetent handling of this shows he's incapable of protecting us. And you can't fix an economy until you fix the pandemic. And he has no plan to fix the pandemic. His only plan is rush everybody back to on the job, rush everybody back to school, regardless of whether it's safe or not, So long as I get them back, and I can get things moving. But what he's done in the process is given this country a tremendous setback. Now we won't open as quickly as we could have otherwise. Look at what other countries have done. His incompetent handling of this has hurt the economy, it's hurt workers, and it's hurt the lives and livelihoods of millions of Americans.
0: Let me bring you back to something you just said about about PPE and the president. You, meaning the AFL CIO, were part of eight unions that demanded that President Trump invoke the the, um, the the Defense Production Act to force factories to to switch to making personal protective equipment. And you you said, "quote The Trump administration is a wall on safety and refuses to help the frontline workers who are still in desperate need of more PPE." Why do you believe the Trump administration has been was then and has continues to be AWOL?
1: Well, first of all, go back to the infectious workplace disease standard. Until you have a standard, employers have nothing to go by. In this pandemic, the whole pandemic, Jonathan, OSHA has issued four, four violations of health and safety standards, four since March of this year. They're they're AWOL, they're not around anywhere. So they weren't there to require employers to do PPE. They weren't there, require them to enforce the standards of the CDC standards uh, that were out there that quite frankly are volunteer. That's why we want a standard so that they're not volunteer. All of that says he wasn't there. And then he got caught flat footed. I told you he did away with the, the task force, he did away with the pandemic standard. He did and the OSHA was weakened. So he wasn't prepared for this. And then when he was prepared for it, he tried to hide it. He tried to say, this is gonna go away. There's nothing to worry about now. We're gonna be done with this in a couple of months. It's gonna go away. Soon as the hot weather comes all, oh, we're gonna be good. Take this miracle drug that I have, uh, by the way, over here. And all of that, Was a tremendous setback to the country. He treated us as expendable.
0: Well, Mr. Trump, that
1: but expendable.
0: Right. And that gets to another question I was going to ask you. And that is do you think President Trump in particular, but the administration as a whole, even cares about the health and safety of the American worker?
1: Absolutely not. If he cared about the health and safety of the American worker, he wouldn't have gutted OSHA. He wouldn't have made it a walking cadaver. He would have given us a health place standard. When he ordered people back to work in the meatpacking plants, he would have had a health and safety plan. Before he ordered people back to school, he would have had a a way to do it safely to protect students, our, our communities, and our teachers. He would have done all of that. He's considered us expendable all along. As long as we get his economy moving, he doesn't care what happens to us or how many of us go down. You, you've, you've we've
0: talked a lot about President Trump and what he hasn't mostly hasn't done. So let's focus now on on Congress and particularly in the Senate. You've criticized Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, saying the GOP's Heals Act will heal nothing and will only hurt working people and families. Why do you think? the bill will actually hurt working families. Isn't a $1 billion plan better than a $0 plan?
1: Look, it totally fails to recognize the magnitude of the problem. The magnitude of the problem takes at least a $3 trillion bill because you have to give aid to state and local governments. You have to give more aid to our schools so that they can open up safely. You want schools to open up safely? We have to help them do that. Yet we need aid to the Postal Service. He's trying to gut the Postal Service. His guy comes in and tries to slow things down. We know why, because he's afraid if they vote by mail, more people will vote and he won't get elected. This is all about him. And so all of the things that he's done, all of those things that he's done, lead back to what's good for him, but not what's good for the country or for America's workers.
0: You know, one of the things President Trump says uh, said in twenty sixteen and continues to say now is that he's going to be the person to convince companies to come back from overseas and come back to the United States. He's always talking about Apple and having Apple bring factories back from China or out of China to the United to the United States. What do you think, uh, Vice President Biden, needs to do to convince? Or can he, is it even realistic to convince companies to, bring, to move from overseas and bring the jobs back here
1: to the United States? Well, before I answer that part of the question, Jonathan, let me go back and talk about President Trump, what he's done. So he talks about bringing jobs back, but he passes a tax bill that rewards people who take jobs offshore. Zero tax rate if you send your subsidiary offshore. And as a result of that, more people have gone offshore. The supply chains have gone offshore. More jobs have been outsourced. Joe Biden's going to reverse that. He's not going to reward people for taking jobs offshore. Here's the second thing he's going to do that's important. Our government spends about $700 billion a year buying stuff for military, for everything. Joe is going to use as much as we can to buy Americans. That will create American jobs, not jobs overseas, anywhere else, so he'll do that. He has a number of plans to increase manufacturing. And President Trump's talked about increasing manufacturing, but he hasn't done it because his policies have rewarded those for going offshore. So Joe Biden will change the tax code. He'll work with us, he'll use procurement to make sure that the dollars that we spend get spent on American-made products, and he'll start to reverse that process. And I think he has the power of persuasion as well, because he will follow through on stuff, not just talk about stuff. Well, let's keep talking about manufacturing, because the Biden campaign's
0: Build Back Better plan says it wants to bring supply chains for auto manufacturing back to the US. Why do you believe Biden will be able to come through when so many other politicians for decades have allowed manufacturing
1: jobs to leave the country? Because he's determined to do it and it's one of his top priorities. Second of all, he has a a partner in the House of Representatives uh, under Nancy Pelosi who has the same goal. To bring those jobs back. And third, you will have another partner under Chuck Schumer uh, who will be the majority leader in the Senate after this is over because of the way they've blown uh, the handling of the pandemic. The, the Senate will be under control and we'll have the partners and the, the ability to be able to do that, to be able to pass laws that reward companies who produce here because we have the best trained workforce in the world. And if you give them a fair playing field, They'll be able to do it. Second of all, President Trump has tried to attack uh, China unilaterally. So China has uh, created an overflow of uh, steel and aluminum, and he thinks he's going to be able to go after them unilaterally and dry that up. All that happens when you do that is China sends it to another country, the overlap. They send it back into this country. Joe Biden will form a multilateral front with all of our allies to stop that from happening and make China live by the rules and punish those people that are in, manufacturers that are in China for not living by the rules.
0: Well, you talked about a bunch of partners uh, Vice President Biden would have Speaker Nancy Pelosi, now Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. Let's talk about another partner he's going to have with him if he does indeed get elected. And that's his vice presidential nominee, Senator Kamala Harris of California. Uh, What do you think Senator Harris brings to the Democratic ticket?
1: I think she brings the ability to step in and do the job on day one. I think she's uh, a talented tough lady who understands the world and the economy and how things work. She also understands workers, by the way. She has a 100% voting record uh, with working people in this country. And we tip our hat for for that. Tip our hat to Joe for selecting her and tip our hat to her uh, for having that kind of a record. She will be a perfect complement to him. He'll be able to send her to places to solve problems where he can't go. It'll be like having two people the ability to have two problem solvers uh, of the highest quality together working as a team how important was it
0: that or how important is it that vice president biden chose a woman of color a black woman and a south, a- a south asian woman to be his
1: running mate i think it was extremely important uh, given where we are right now and how this pandemic has has shown us what we've already known how how Racism and structural racism still dominates uh, in this country. We need somebody who's lived through that, who understands that, and will have the voice and the backbone to help us attack that. Because as the labor movement, we intend to be the tip of the spear when it comes to attacking racism. Uh, And we're going to have a partner with Joe Biden and with Kamala Harris in attacking that. And they will, they too will be the tip of the spear in going after structural racism and every other type of prejudice in this country. Let me ask you a question here. On the other hand, we have a president right now who actually uh, fans the flames of racism, who retweets white supremacist uh, things and slogans. That's just totally unacceptable from a president. We need somebody who's going to unite us And bring us back together, not someone who's gonna divide us. So, let me ask you
0: something live in front of an audience that I asked you before we went on, and that is to compare or actually contrast where the Democratic Party is right now in the presidential race compared to 2016, and whether you think um, that the Democratic Party, and in particular this ticket, is in a better position in 2020 than the Clinton Kane ticket was in 2016
1: and well why. They, okay I, I think that they, they are in a better position because they have the wisdom and the experience of watching what happened uh, in 2016 when you take states for granted when you don't go to states so uh, that you need to go to win and you don't go there it's going to cost you and it costs you there and also when you when you sort of talk past working people, Uh, When you don't understand that the most important thing to them is kitchen table economics, how they're going to pay the bills, how they're going to make a living, how they're going to get the rent for this month, what am I going to do to send the kids to school, what am I going to do to get my health care that's going, when you don't talk to those issues and you talk past them, uh, I think uh, it costs you. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris know more than anybody uh, the importance of what's happening on the ground right now to workers. They know what's happening in the economy uh, to working people, and they are focused like a laser beam on correcting the problems that affect working people first. Not second, not Wall Street, not anybody else, but working people first, and that's why. That's why working people are going to swell up and vote for them and elect them uh, to office on November 3rd.
0: Well, one could say that President Trump is focused like a laser beam on, on on American workers and focused like a laser beam on the Biden-Harris ticket because it seems as though they are front of mind in a form of counter-programming. The president was in Minnesota. He's going to Wisconsin and from reporting. He's probably going to be out on the campaign trail doing something every day during the general election uh, how how worried should the democratic ticket be that it, with the president out there going to those states Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Minnesota that he lost by a little more than a percentage point and that his that his message will work
1: they should take nothing for granted Uh, They should continue to communicate effectively with the working people, educate working people on what you stand for. The Democratic platform this time around is the most worker-friendly platform that we've seen in my history since I've been around. I've never seen a platform that is more worker-friendly and and good for this economy than the platform you're about to to see that will get adopted here in the next day or so. Uh, They also have to continue to get in front of people, and they do that. Uh, They're talking in front of people every single day, educating people of what they stand for. See, the difference between them is they don't get up and talk for an hour and a half uh, and and tell a bunch of whoppers. They look at workers and look them straight in the eye and tell them how it is, how they understand working people, what working people need and what working people are going through. Uh, And I don't think the president has a clue about that, quite frankly.
0: Last night, former First Lady Michelle Obama spoke to the Nation 18-minute address that was overall you know, po- uh, positive, positively reviewed and received. For, for the workers you represent, how important is it to hear from her, and how important is it to hear from her husband, the former president?
1: I think it's important to hear from both of them. Look, workers love and revere uh, Michelle Obama. She has been someone who has been totally honorable. Uh, she's someone that we can look up to and have our children aspire to grow up and be just like Michelle uh, Obama because she's such a, a wonderful human being, such a good patriot uh, and, and such a great citizen uh, of the United States. Uh, and so it was an important speech last night and a powerful speech. It's also important to hear from, from President Obama because he, was, uh, he did a great job in office. I mean, he created a number of jobs. He brought an economy. He gave Donald Trump an economy uh, that was humming along like you can't believe. Donald Trump didn't build that economy. He inherited it. All he had to do is hold the reins. Uh, And he didn't do that very well, quite frankly, but that's another story. So it's important for them to hear from them. It's important for people of color to hear from them because of the message that they have. It's important for white people to hear from them. It's important for every citizen of the United States to hear from them because they have an important message and they have a perspective. They know what it takes to be good at that job. They did it. And so they can talk with authority. And last night, Michelle uh, Obama talked with authority. And I can tell you, uh, I I felt a sense of pride uh, in her and in our country that I haven't felt in a long, long time because she was what you would hope every American could be. She said the words that were healing and would bring us together, not further divide us.
0: I can't let you go without asking about the about the post office. When asked your thoughts about, about it, you compared the post office to Social Security, calling it beloved by everybody. You also said, if the president is seen as trying to debilitate the post office, He'll pay a huge political price. Supporters of the Biden campaign will most likely agree with you. But what would you say about the passionate, well, what would you say to the passionate Trump supporters? Do you believe his supporters will agree with you?
1: I do indeed. Because if you look at any facet of the Trump supporters, Mm -hmm. there are rural people that are Trump supporters, right? Uh, the post office is central to holding rural America together. I came from a small town in Appalachia and the, the, the post office was what kept the town it was a place you met. It was a place where everybody talked. and when somebody didn't show up, an elderly person didn't show up, the postmaster sent one of us up to check on him. It was the hub. So if you're rural, it's going to hurt you. Look, and when he talks when he talks down about the post office, there's a hundred thousand veterans that work in the Postal Service. So he's talking down to 100,000 veterans. They wanna do a good job and they are gonna deliver every single ballot. I promise you that, whether he wants them to or not, and no matter what obstacles they put out there, we're gonna deliver, the Postal Service is gonna deliver every single ballot out there. And when we pass the HEROES Act, we're gonna be able to help them a lot. Now, listen. Let's talk about how the Postal Service got where it was, because this is important for people to understand. George Bush wanted to privatize the Postal Service. He tried, and he couldn't do it because it was like the third rail, just like Social Security. So what did he do? He figured out a way to make the Postal Service go from the black to the red. He forced the Postal Service to pre-fund their health care. That cost them five billion dollars a year. No other agency has to prefund their health care. No employer has to prefund their health care. Social Security doesn't prefund. Medicare doesn't prefund. None of those prefund that but he forced the post office to do that, so it looked like it went from being in the black to being in the red. Take that accounting away from them. And the Postal Service is strong as it's ever been. Mm -hmm. And it's doing more with less because he keeps taking stuff away from them. And the workers of the Postal Service keep rising to a higher level and delivering better better services. We have a thing called the Heroes uh, Dinner that we have. It's where letter carriers out there have saved the life of somebody uh, on their route. Mm. Ask those people if the Postal Service is important whenever they, they saved their life because they saw smoke coming out of a building or they didn't see the lights turn on when they should have, and they went in to investigate uh, for, for people that are out there. They're truly heroes, and they ought to be treated like heroes, not treated as expendable like he's trying to do right now and denigrate them.
0: Mr. Mr. Trumpka Richard Trumpka head of the AFL-CIO, president of the AFL-CIO, thank you very much for coming on Washington Post
1: Live today. Jonathan, I tell you what, it's been a pleasure. Have you back anytime.
0: Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.